లవింగ్ సాయిరామ్ అండ్ గ్రీటింగ్స్ ఫ్రమ్ ప్రశాంతి నిలయం వీ రిజ్యూమ్ దిస్ జర్నీ త్రూ ద అవతార్స్ బై కంటిన్యూయింగ్ ఫ్రమ్ వేర్ ఐ లెఫ్ట్ ఆఫ్ లాస్ట్ టైమ్ ఇఫ్ యూ రికాల్ ఐ వాస్ టెలింగ్ యూ అబౌట్ ద ఎర్లీ ఇయర్స్ ఆఫ్ ద కృష్ణా అవతార్ ఇయర్స్ రోల్ బై అండ్ కృష్ణా గ్రూ ఇన్ టు అడల్ట్హుడ్ numerous various experiences and the encounters with the evil ones did not cease one of those with whom he had frequent brushes was jarasandha the father in law of kamsa enraged that krishna had made his two daughters married to kamsa into widows jarasandha repeatedly attacked mathura where krishna had established himself as many as 18 invasions were attempted and this led krishna to create far away on the western coast a new city called dwaraka once dwaraka was ready krishna instantly transported all his people from mathura to dwaraka by the use of his yogic powers eventually Krishna used Bhima as his instrument for killing Jarasandha. By the way, the Dwaraka of today is a town created later in history. The Dwaraka of Krishna is supposed to have gone under the sea a long time ago. Recently, underwater explorations off the sea coast of Gujarat revealed what seemed like ruins of an ancient town. maybe those are the remains of the dwaraka of krishna more work is needed to confirm that a parenthetical remark here about the mysterious ways of the lord is also in order you might legitimately wonder why if krishna was indeed the lord of the universe he put up with 18 invasions of mathura by jarasandha why did he who used his yogic powers to transport all the people of mathura to dwaraka in an instant have to use bhima to get rid of jarasandha we will never know as swami says god's actions can never be understood he moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform that's all indeed this is true of the current avatar as well One day, after the Pandavas had established themselves at Indraprastha, that story would come later. Yudhishthira decided that the most auspicious Rajasuya Yajna should be performed. Invitations were sent to all leading kings, princes and chieftains and there was an overwhelming response. At the conclusion of the rites, homage had to be paid to the foremost among the guests gathered and the question was who should be so honored the name of krishna came up and yudhishthira jumped at the idea however the idea did not find favor with many and shishupala until recently the commander in chief of jarasandha's forces rose not only to make his objection but also to hurl abuse at krishna Krishna did not react but merely kept on smiling 
because he had given his word to Shishupala's mother that he would put up with insults, up to a point that is. Seeing Krishna smile made Shishupala even more furious and abuse now poured out in a torrent. Eventually, Krishna decided that Shishupala had exceeded all decent limits, including the number of abuses hurled. And Krishna decided that he was no longer bound by the pledge given to the misguided one's mother. Calmly, he beheaded Shishupala. Tradition has it that Krishna launched his divine chakra or discus. But Swami has clarified that Krishna merely flung a plate he was holding and that plate spinning like a spinning wheel cut Shishupala's head off. And lo and behold, a glow left Shishupala's body, flew towards Krishna and merged with his feet. Yudhishthira was a witness, was both amazed as well as dismayed. How could such an evil one obtain merger? Seeing his confusion, Narada, who was among those present, drew Yudhishthira aside and quickly narrated the entire history of Jayan and Vijayan and their indiscretion. He added, This Shishupala is none other than Jayan reborn. No doubt he hated Krishna, but he was always thinking of Krishna. Curiously and strange as it might sound, one who constantly hates the Lord is also a yogi. Obviously, the, the practice of this kind of yoga is very rare and it is the practice of that yoga which gives Shishupala its liberation. Needless to say, this type of yoga is not recommended. Narada continued, with Jayan gone, Krishna would now have to tackle Vijayan, that is Dantavakra, and that day is not far off. Meanwhile, do you realize, O Yudhishthira, that this Krishna with whom you and your brothers are moving so freely and casually is none other than Narayana himself? and that this sort of privilege is not available even to those who have spent long periods in tapas? That in brief is what sage Narada told Yudhishthira. You had better keep that in mind. Shortly after the extermination of Shishupala, Dantavakra, the incarnation of Vijayan, also met his end at the hands of Krishna, precisely as Narada had foretold Yudhishthira. One would have thought that with mission accomplished, Narayana would have returned to his base. No, he did not, for there was a much greater job awaiting him, namely the proclamation of his divine and eternal message. Krishna now became increasingly involved with the Pandavas and their affairs, and I shall be describing all that soon in detail. For the moment, it suffices to say that after the great Kurukshetra war, Krishna ruled for many years in Dwaraka. Once during this period, there came one day to the court of Krishna, a Brahmin named Sudama, also known as Kuchela. Sudama and Krishna had studied together in the Gurukulam of Sandipani, but later their ways parted. While Krishna became a ruler, Sudama lived in poverty. One day, 
His wife persuaded Sudama to go to Dwaraka, call on Krishna and ask for some help. For a variety of re- reasons, Sudama was most reluctant to do so, but finally he had to yield to the pressure of his wife. Hesitantly, he started his journey to Dwaraka, but just before he set out, he told himself, I don't know if Krishna would recognize me. After all, he is a big ruler, whereas I am only a poor Brahmin. But anyway, if he is still like he once used to be, then I should take for him some puffed rice, for he, he used to love it so much in those days. True, it's a trivial gift to offer to a king, but then I am poor, and in fact I am going there precisely for begging. Thus excusing himself, Sudama took with him a small bundle of puffed rice, to be given as a humble offering to Krishna. Sudama slowly trusted Dwaraka and after successfully negotiating various royal guards, eventually made it to Krishna's presence. This was the moment of trial. Would the great Krishna recognize him or throw him out? What actually happened was something that Sudama was totally unprepared for. Krishna not only rushed to welcome Sudama and fold him in a tight embrace, but he extended all the traditional honors due to a guest, including the washing of the feet. And then came the fond reminiscences, Oh Sudama, do you remember? Oh Krishna, do you remember? That sort of thing happens when old friends meet after a very long time. This went on for a while, and Sudama clean forgot the gift he had brought. But would the compassionate Lord let a slip like that happen? So suddenly, Krishna took hold of the bundle containing the puffed rice and said, Oh Sudama, how could you have forgotten to give me the loving gift sent by my sister, meaning Sudama's wife? So saying, he took the puffed rice and not only ate it by the handful, but also shared it with his consort Rukmani. Sudama was thoroughly overwhelmed and choked with emotion. Soon it was time to say goodbye and after a tender leave-taking, Sudama left for his village. Only much later did he realize with a start that he had completely forgotten to ask Krishna for help. Now what on earth was he going to tell his wife? She would be hopping mad for having blown away the opportunity of a lifetime, wondering how he would negotiate the storm waiting for him at home. He sadly returned, but when he approached his house, a strange sight greeted him. Where stood once his pathetic cut, there now was a great mansion, and as he entered, his wife greeted him with huge smiles and draped in jewellery and the costliest of clothes. Sudama quietly reflected, Krishna certainly knew about my wants. He gave me an opportunity to give expression to them, but I, swept by him in all respects, spent my time in adoration, totally forgetting my wants. I suppose that is what bhakti or devotion is all about. And of course, Krishna cares only for bhakti. Even the most insignificant offering of a bhakta or devotee is to him a great thing. For him, 
bhakta comes above everything else and once a bhakta wins a place in his heart he does not even have to ask every need of the bhakta is taken care of as if automatically realizing the profound significance of the fortune that had befallen him sudama advised his wife not to be swept by the worldly aspect of krishna's largesse but pay more attention to the divine grace received thus it was that sudama and his family though now affluent spent all their time thinking of krishna and sudama's story became an eternal example of how the lord cares not for the material value of what is offered to him but for the feeling with which the offering is made it is pertinent in this context to mention in passing an incident recounted in one of the editions of sanatan sarathi about a young boy in somi school or college i don't remember which who gave a small contribution to the hospital fund from the money he had saved and how swami declared that this contribution was more valuable to him than a million dollars years went rolling by and up in vaikuntham everyone was beginning to feel the prolonged absence of narayana rather like what the inhabitants of puttaparthi feel when swami is away for an extended period as he sometimes is on behalf of the pining celestial denizens brahma came down along with the devas to make a plea to krishna brahma said oh lord you incarnated to destroy the human forms of jain and vijayan that was accomplished a long time ago you then stayed on to give arjuna and humanity your priceless jewel the bhagavad gita that also has been done is it not time now for you to return to vaigundam please do so immediately for without you we are so lonely krishna smiled and replied true i have done all that you have said but there is still one more massive task left my own clansmen the yadavas have over the years become lustful conceited and arrogant right now i am exercising control over them which is why they have not wrought as much havoc as they are capable of one side apart they would go on the rampage which is unacceptable so i have to take care of the yadava problem before i return but be not anxious for soon i would be back krishna is love personified and it was his love for arjuna and humanity as a whole that made him give the glorious and timeless message the gita understandably the gita is truly famous but arjuna was not the only one to be favored with direct divine teaching there was another equally fortunate namely uddhava uddhava was one of the yadavas who was deeply devoted to krishna shortly before the curtain was to be rung down krishna acknowledged uddhava's devotion or bhakti by favoring him with special advice sometimes referred to as the uddhava gita unlike the dialogue with arjuna that was severely curtailed by the impending battle krishna's conversation with uddhava was more relaxed uddhava wanted to know many things and krishna 
patiently obliged. The Lord said, Uddhava, I am pleased with your spiritual thirst. Let me quench it with some advice. Firstly, I shall briefly recall what Dattatreya told my ancestor Yadu. In his wanderings, Yadu came across Dattatreya around whom there was the aura or glow of inner peace. When asked about the secret, Dattatreya replied, O King, nature is the best teacher. My teachers have been the earth, the sky, water, the moon, the sun, a pigeon, a python, the ocean, a moth, a honeybee, the keeper of a beehive, an elephant, a deer, a fish, a woman named Pingala, a squirrel-like animal called Kurari, a child, a young girl, an archer, a snake, a spider and a wasp. Seeing the puzzled look on Yadu's face, Dattatreya continued, I see you are perplexed. Don't worry, I shall explain myself with a few examples. I saw the earth bears all loads silently. This taught me forbearance, the need for being firm like a mountain. Next, the sky. When the sky is overcast, we think it is covered with clouds. But that's not true, because there is no contact between the clouds and the sky. From this I learned that though the Atma is enclosed in a body which is made up of the five elements, the Atma is not involved with the body. In other words, Brahman is always apart from his manifestation. The water of a river is pure and sweet, and it purifies those who come to it. In the same manner, good men serve to purify humanity with their presence, darshan, their touch, sparshan, and words, sambhashan. What about the python? As you know, the python never goes out of its way to obtain food. It is content to eat whatever comes its way, be it big or small. Sometimes it even starves for days together, but it always waits patiently. This taught me that man should accept with fortitude whatever life offers, be it favorable or otherwise. The moth, as you know, is attracted by flame to which it later falls a prey. It's a victim of the sense of light which beguiles it. From this I learnt that unless a person controls his senses, he runs the danger of being destroyed. Turning to the bee, I notice that it does not hurt the flower it sucks nectar from. Also, it does not take more than just a small amount. Even so, a renunciate or sannyasi must accept from a householder just so much and no more. Next, the Kurari. Once it had a piece of meat. Large birds then surrounded the Kurari and attacked it fiercely. The Kurari suffered much and could not ward off the attackers. Finally, it let go the piece of meat, and instantly the attack stopped. To me, this was a lesson that renunciation leads to peace. The snake avoids company and lives by itself in a hole in the ground. Likewise, a renunciate or sannyasi should shun company 
and live by himself in a secluded cave or hermitage. The spider taught me the final lesson. One day, I was watching the spider sitting on a branch. Suddenly, he spat saliva and began to weave threads, which he made into a nice web. Later, he ate the threads and soon nothing was left of the web. Even so, at the beginning of an eon or kalpa, Paramatma, the Supreme Lord, manifests himself as the phenomenal universe, which later at the end of the kalpa, he withdraws into himself. This, O King, Dattatreya concluded, should give you some idea of how to learn from nature, shape your life and derive inner peace. Krishna then said to Uddhava, See Uddhava, everywhere there are lessons to learn from. The lessons would become apparent only if you train yourself to look beneath the surface and search for a meaning. Creation is beautiful, but don't be dazzled by it, for that is what Maya is all about. Look beyond and you will see the Creator who is much grander. Speaking in a similar vein during his divine discourse delivered on 13th February 1997 during the first ever celebration of the Chinese New Year at Prashanti Nilayam, Swami described the lessons one could learn from the cow, the snake, the donkey, the dog and the parrot. Getting back to Krishna and his conversation with Uddhava, Krishna in essence repeated to Uddhava the teaching he had earlier imparted to Arjuna. Uddhava listened intently even as Arjuna had done before and asked many questions. Finally he said, Krishna, this bhakti or devotion seems to be most wonderful. Please tell me more about bhakti and your bhaktas. Smiling broadly, Krishna said, Uddhava, you certainly seem to know what I like best. And then Krishna went on to expound the greatness of bhakti as well as how he adores his devotees. Uddhava then asked, Krishna, can you please describe your bhakta? Krishna replied, gladly. My bhakta is easily recognized by his compassionate nature and the softness of his heart. He loves to talk about me and sing my praise. He never eats or drinks anything without first offering it to me. If other bhaktas are talking about me, he pricks up his ears. As he goes about his work, his body functions like a robot, while his mind is totally absorbed in me. For him, nothing else exists in this universe except me. And wherever he turns, he sees nothing other than me. Tears of joy come to his eyes when he thinks of me. Indeed, even when he merely hears my name. Bhakta is mad about me, but believe me, Uddhava, God madness is better than anything else you can think of. And let me tell you one more thing. To me, my Bhakta is more precious than anything in this world. I don't mind or care if people insult or abuse me. But take it from me, I shall not tolerate in the least bit any calculated injury to my dear devotee. Uddhava was the last one to receive the benefit of Krishna's divine teachings. He was then sent by Krishna to Badri Ashram on the banks of the Ganges 
to meditate and spend the rest of his life. With Uddhava gone, Krishna could now attend to the remaining unfinished business, namely the elimination of the Yadava clan. Being the masterly playwright that he is, Krishna had already scripted the destruction of the Yadavas and his own exit as well. Much earlier, Krishna once arranged and urged in some great sages to visit him. Thus it was that a group led by sage Vishwamitra made a pilgrimage which included a visit to Dwaraka. As they entered the palace gates at Dwaraka to pay homage to Krishna, a group of Yadava boys decided to play a prank. They dressed a young lad as a girl and taking him before the sages asked, O wise one, this girl is with a child. Will she give birth to a boy or a girl? The Rishi saw through the game and pronounced a curse. An iron pistol would be born, which later would be the cause of destruction of the entire Yadava community. Intensely scared, the pranksters fled from the place. Later, when the female disguise was removed, an iron pestle was found in the garment. The elders who came to know of the incident were alarmed and ordered that the pestle be ground into fine powder and the dust be thrown into the sea. This was duly done, but one sharp piece of the pestle remained and could not be powdered. However, that too was flung into the sea. The Yadavas now breathed easier, confident they had circumvented the curse. It was not as if the Rishis had spontaneously pronounced the curse. Rather, the Lord had willed that they do so as a part of his master plan. Could that be thwarted so easily? The iron powder scattered into the sea was washed ashore where it sprouted as reeds which grew tall waiting to play their role when the time came. And that came 36 years after the Kurukshetra war when one day Krishna summoned all the Yadavas and said Lately many evil omens have been appearing. We must therefore pray practice austerities and offer sacrifice. I suggest we all go out of Dwaraka for this purpose. The women and children may go to the nearby spot of Sangotra, whereas we might proceed further to Prabhasa on the sea coast. Soon after, the male members led by Krishna and Balarama reached Prabhasa for performing the various rites. One day along with the meal, the Yadavas partook rather generously of the wine. In no time at all they became intoxicated and friendly arguments soon became into quarrels and later into physical fights. Looking for weapons to use, they saw tall reeds that were as strong as iron rods. Everyone grabbed the reeds and soon the Yadavas were smashing each other to death. It was a gory sight, but standing quite aloof, Krishna watched it silently. After all, was it not a part of his play? 
Balarama too was from a distance, but unlike Krishna, he was totally disgusted. Silently he walked away to shed his mortal coil. In the end, the Yadavas were all dead and only Krishna was left. It was now his turn to go and he had scripted his own exit too. But before I get on to that, there is something I must mention. In my next talk, I shall tell you something about the Kurukshetra war at the commencement of which the Bhagavad Gita was given by the Lord to humanity. But here I would like to say the following. Soon after the Kurukshetra war, Krishna went to Hastinapura to console Dhritarashtra and Gandhari, the bereaved parents whose sons had all died in the war. Gandhari was fully aware that her sons were unadulterated evil, but even so as a mother who had lost all her sons, she would not be easily consoled. To Krishna she wailed, Oh Krishna, you could have easily averted this tragedy, but you did not do so. Just as my sons have been completely annihilated, I curse that your Yadava clan be similarly wiped out and you too along with them, 36 years from now. Krishna smiled and replied, Venerable aunt, I know how you feel and I gladly accept your curse. But you must concede that I did try my best to avert the conflict. I warned Duryodhana so many times, but he would not pay heed. Anyway, the past is past, and there is not much point in brooding over it. Console yourself with the thought that it was all the Lord's will. Krishna recalled that scene enacted over three decades ago. The Yadavas were gone and one more scene remained to be enacted before the curtain could be rung down upon the Dvapara Yuga and that last scene consisted of his own exit. Krishna now withdrew to a forest, selected a nice tree, sat under it and went into meditation. As usual, he was dressed in yellow silk. Some distance away there was a hunter passing by. Seeing the yellow dress through the leaves, he mistook Krishna to be a spotted deer and shot an arrow, which pierced Krishna's heel. Krishna uttered a cry, and hearing it, the hunter rushed to the spot. Instead of a deer, he saw Krishna lying on the ground and bleeding profusely. Stunned and horrified, he fell at Krishna's feet cried and begged for forgiveness. In reply, Krishna said, Don't cry or be sorry. I am not angry with you. It was not your fault at all. Let us just say it was God's will and that you played your part admirably in the cosmic drama for which heaven would be your reward. Be at peace. Meanwhile, Daruka, the charioteer of Krishna, was searching for his master. He knew Krishna had walked away from the carnage by the seaside towards the forest. Guided by the scent of tulsi leaves, which Krishna wore as a garland, Daruka eventually came to where Krishna was lying mortally wounded. Overwhelmed with deep anguish, he cried, Oh Lord, how did this terrible thing happen to you? In a matter-of-fact tone, Krishna replied, Daraka, 
There is no time now to discuss all that. Let me quickly give you a few instructions. Firstly, you must return immediately to Dwaraka and gently break the news about me and also the end of the Yadavas to my parents. They would no doubt be heartbroken, but you must console them. After my end, the waters of the sea would enter Dwaraka and the city would be submerged. So, the women and children must not return to Dwaraka from Sangotra. Ask Arjuna to escort them to Hastinapura, where they could live. And now, if you please, pull this arrow out before you leave. Weeping like a child and with trembling hands, Daruka did as instructed. The arrowhead which Daruka extracted had been shaped from a piece of iron pestle which could not be broken up earlier. While in the sea, the piece was swallowed by a fish. Later, the fish was caught and when it was cut open, there was the iron piece. A hunter used it to make an arrowhead and eventually by divine design, that very arrowhead helped Krishna shed his mortal coil while respecting at the same time the curses laid upon him. The fatal arrow having been extracted from the foot, Krishna asked Daruka to hurry back. Tearfully, Daruka went round Krishna three times and hastened to Dwaraka to carry out the assigned tasks. Mission over, Krishna smiled for the last time and then went into a yogic trance. In that state, he separated from the body which had served him for over a century and Krishna returned to Vaikuntam, much to the great delight of all the celestial beings. The Dwapra Yuga had ended and mankind would have to wait for 5,000 and odd years before the Lord deigned to come down again as a Purna Avatar. Jai Sairam.